1: And coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey everybody, welcome. I love doing shows like this. This is our Good News segment. But when you step out in the world with courage and optimism and perseverance and love, what do you get? You get Patrick Asara's story, hard-won success, But, but let's talk about this. Who is Patrick? What did he do? How does his life stand as a blueprint for so many of us that struggle to overcome the day-to-day challenges. But when you hear about his story and you read about this miraculous true story of how one African boy's quest for education catapulted him to overcome obstacles, challenges, and enact the amazing dream that he has put into play. And today you get to hear from him directly this fantastic book he has written, and you'll hear about it for in a minute, But think about this. If you're struggling in your life, if you think you can't go on, if you're wondering if there's going to be a tomorrow, I hope you hear something from Patrick that will change your perspective. Patrick, it's great to have you here.
2: Thank you so much, Dr. Pat, for having me. Thank you.
1: You know, many of us, um, we come from, how should I say it, humble beginnings. You know, myself growing up in a Uh, less than, uh, how should I say it, prosperous environment as a young kid, growing up in the Mm. projects, growing up in the Bronx. But Mm. all of that pales compared Mm. to what you, uh, Mm. how you came into this world, and then what you decided to do with your life. Let's Mm. talk about the memoir. What is it that touched your heart, where you just said, I have got to tell my story? What happened?
2: (laughs) very,, uh, very in- interesting way to uh, to begin this conversation. So uh, the the thing that touched my heart is uh, as you as you point out, uh, this is uh, this is uh, a journey uh, quite improbable uh, given where I started from, um, a very remote village in West Africa, Born to two illiterate parents, uh, uh, that's one of fourteen children growing up in this family. And uh, never enough food at home to eat. I mean, we we're growing up in a mud house, and, um education was the last thing on anyone's mind in this in this place. I mean, it was a constant struggle for survival. So I went hungry uh, most of the time. and um so that that was sort of the beginning. and uh, uh one thing after another uh, uh, happened, and I managed to leave this place,, uh, this village to to go to secondary school in Ghana, which is the equivalent of high school in America. And after that, I get a scholarship to to go study in the Soviet Union, um, starting in 1985. So I I go there for six years. I I live there, travel extensively uh, throughout that place, and then eventually find my place in America. So I come to America in uh, the early 1990s, and I get uh, my first job in this country was uh, as a teacher of Russian and math in an inner city public school uh, district, K twelve system, and uh, uh, I had just arrived in this country and uh, not very familiar with the with the society and the culture and everything that uh, uh, goes along with uh, with that. And so, as a teacher, I go into my uh, classroom in this inner city public school, and and I I'm shocked by uh, what what I find. I mean, all the disciplinary problems we. We read about the dysfunction, and uh, so poor children. Basically, the the students I was teaching, uh, poor children from broken homes, and and everything that I'm familiar with, given where I came from. And so, I look at the struggles I, I had to go through to just get basic education. I started school. I I, I sat under a tree because in my village there were, there were not enough classrooms. So I, I sat under a tree. I mean to learn and to go from that uh, to where i was standing as a teacher in uh, in this inner city place i mean the, the the classroom i was standing in was state of the art uh as far as you know relative to where i grew up but uh uh the the total disengagement of the students the lack of interest in education so mm-hmm. that that completely blew my mind and so uh that was the start of another journey uh to start to understand american society and uh, what impacts these children and uh cause them to behave the way they do in school. So that was the beginning of this book journey. Uh, this, um, So so so, it, it, it took me all the way back to my village and uh, started thinking about how I started, because if I uh, found myself in that same classroom in this inner city public school that I was teaching, I, I don't know that I could have... Uh, I could have had the uh, the space. Mm. I mean, to to do the learning I did uh, to to take me from Ghana to the Soviet Union and to America. So so that was the that's why I decided to use my personal uh, story as a basis uh, to examine uh, all the factors: the poverty, the racism, the uh, the lack of uh, uh, parental involvement in children's upbringing. Yeah, so that that's the basis of the book.
1: Uh, Yeah. And, you know, I wanted to ask you that question because, you know, I was born in New York. You know, I was born in the Bronx. And so Mm -hmm. I understand that I really related to the way you talked about this. But Mm -hmm. I also, I think I mentioned this before you and I uh, came live on air. I also understand a little bit about uh, where you lived, where you were born, the culture. I Mm -hmm. I had the honor Mm -hmm. of doing that through Sam Hammond, my table Mm -hmm. tennis coach. And I was open to a world that, for me, this kid from New York got to appreciate. But mm-hmm. your memoir it goes beyond the boundaries of any geographic, any yes. country. <laughs> You're really talking about what we can do, what is possible mm-hmm. in the world. Mm-hmm. And isn't that part of your story's journey?
2: It, it is absolutely uh, a part of it because... Uh, I, I, to go, for me, to go from the, the, this poor dirt uh, village that I was born in, uh, to go from there to, to, to the Soviet Union, and um, I, I write about getting to Moscow in August of 1985, and that was right at the beginning of President Gorbachev's uh, perestroika. He had just come into office about six months before I got there. And, and, and so I was, I was there for the entire six year period, uh, when perestroika was going on. So, so I was witness to history as, uh, as it was happening. And, and during that time, I got the opportunity to travel extensively, not only throughout the Soviet Union, which has 12 uh, time zones. <laughs> And uh, uh, Western Europe. So I, I got a chance to see all of Western Europe and then coming to America after that. So I have had uh, a rare privilege of uh, seeing a lot of the world. And so uh, the, the, the way I think about the world now and uh, all, the, all the social issues, the geopolitical issues we deal with, uh, that, that's the prism through which I, I look at the world.
1: So, if you're, you're, let's just talk about this for a minute um, about the book. Yes, I can only imagine what it's like to reflect on a life such as yours and so Mm. many pivotal Mm. just historical moments, but moments that in your own life which caused you to pivot. And what I mean by that Mm. is a lot of people call it like change on a dime. Yes. You know, be able to change on a dime. Yes. What do you attribute your ability to do that to? I
2: I would say it is it is due to my upbringing, really. My my father, who I write about in the book, uh, was this illiterate man who uh, he he had not a single day of formal education in his life. And he uh, made a mistake of uh, having 14 children as a poor man and uh, uh, think about uh, how I'm going to take care of uh, these 14 children. And so uh, most people in this position uh, and, and in this village I was growing up in, Bordua, where I was growing up, uh, mm. there, there were pretty much no expectations. Um children born in this place were not expected to go anywhere and so most of the parents in this place uh, similar to my uh, parents were illiterate and so yes. they 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 had you know children themselves and you know nobody really bothered to take care of any Anyone and so as a child, I mean, you you just got some basic primary middle school education and that was it, and then you went back to work on farms or, or whatever. But my father uh, just uh, put a stake in the ground. Uh, he took responsibility for his uh, for his family. So so he worked from dawn to dusk every day, uh, three hundred sixty five days a year uh, to. Uh, uh, to make sure he took responsibility for the fourteen children he brought into this world, and uh, at one point, uh, farming was the was the industry there and uh, subsistence farming. And so uh, the 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 land was not very fertile and not. Uh, and so at one point he left the family to go and live in a jungle by himself, where he could find a piece of fertile land to uh, to grow food, and so. And so we tracked back and forth. I mean, to this place. I mean, through jungles. I mean, just to get food back to the family. And so, and so, watching him uh, uh, during my childhood, watching how he operated, how he took responsibility for his life and uh, uh, took his destiny into his own hands. I mean, that taught me something. So that 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 is a driving mm. force. I mean, that has propelled me from one place to another.
1: Yeah, Patrick, in the book, I love what you say about this. You say there are people, you say this, this is the exact quote from the book. There are people who, regardless of the obstacles in their lives, still have the inner strength to keep going. Yes, I was extremely lucky to have such a rare individual in my life, my father. You mm-hmm. and I have that in common, mm-hmm. right? We yes. have those yes. people in our lives to do yes. that. Yes, and and so when I think about this, and I think about you, and let's just talk about the journey you take us on as we read this beautiful, beautiful. And thank you, by the way, for putting pictures in the book. <laughs> <laughs> it's thank so you. rare these days <laughs> oh, to yeah. get pictures in yeah, a yeah. book.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, oh, that's great. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um. Yeah. Look, those of us sit down and we think about our lives and we wonder if we've got challenges and sometimes mm. we get very stuck yes. in the moment of those challenges. But mm. then when I read your book and I start mm. to I start to look at a, ch- a chapter like the audacity, right? That's <laughs> yes. like that's yes. like a chapter, right? <laughs>
2: yeah, but, yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay,
1: so let's just have a moment with with the audience here because okay. I want to talk about that. Those two words uh, the audacity. I did a talk um, in Chicago not too long ago, and I talked about my life, okay. and I used the word tenacity. Yes, because once upon a time, if women were called tenacious, it was not a good thing, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, so we're going to put that behind us. But the yeah. audacity. T- come on, <laughs> share a little bit about what this was about for our audience.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so so. The, the audacity I am writing about. So, so I've described uh, the, the environment I was growing up in. So uh, imagine 14 children uh, growing up in this mud house with no electricity, no running water. And so we trek to rivers to carry water in buckets back to uh, the house and uh, I'm studying with uh, kerosene lamps and um, so so I pick up, uh, as I uh, mentioned before, there the were zero expectations in this village that uh, uh, as a child like me, I would go anywhere. And so what, what changed for me was uh, I was walking around in the village square one morning and uh, I pick up uh, the scrap of newspaper off the ground. I, I, I was about nine years old. And at that point, I realized that I love to read. And so and and this was a village with uh, no library. The school had no library. The uh, I you know no homes had any books in them because every everyone was illiterate. And so uh, that that um, appetite for reading forced me to pick up this uh, scrap of newspaper off the ground just to, just to you know read what was on it. So so I picked this thing up and I. I read a segment of an article uh, and this article is talking about the the most exclusive secondary school in the country uh, you talking uh, uh about uh, Ivy League uh, uh, type stuff and so I <laughs> and so and so I read I read this and the article is talking about um this school was set up by uh, the British, when when they were uh, colonial uh, governors of Ghana, and so the, this uh, was set up to educate the children of of the country's elite, the uh, the the president, prime minister, ministers of state, ambassadors, and uh, and they, so so this school educated children like that uh, high school education, and then they went from there to Oxford and Cambridge and England and uh to to study for college and then they come back to ghana and they become the most prominent people in the country presidents uh uh you know ambassadors university professors so so as a kid a nine-year-old kid uh, standing in that village square I read this thing and it makes an instant impression on me and say and i and i, I tell myself i, I want to go to this uh exclusive boarding school and uh and then find my way to Oxford or Cambridge, and come back mm-hmm. and become a big person in Ghana. So that—that's the audacity that uh, <laughs> uh, you know I'm talking about. So, so I go on this. I start this journey. I had to prepare for uh entrance uh examination and admission to this place which was the most rigorous thing you could you could i i didn't know it at a time and i when i picked up this newspaper and this idea entered my mind i couldn't tell anyone because no one would understand i mean my parents wouldn't understand and uh my teachers probably would but i i had no reason to uh uh, to to communicate with them because in Ghana at the time teachers were godlike figures and so i mean there was a distance between them and students so i uh, so so i secretly uh not secretly i i didn't really know what i was doing but i had this insane idea and i started this uh, process and so i'm studying with kerosene lamps i mean our days were filled with chores from uh about 3, 4 a.m. Uh, till about 8 a.m. when, uh, you know, the bell rang to go to school. And then we'll, we'll do that. So you do chores for about three, four hours and uh, go to school and then come back and do more chores. And so I had very little time to study. And uh, at night, I had to wait for one of the two kerosene lamps we, we use at home to do my study. So I, I, would, I would, you know, do study about 10 p.m. to about midnight. And I go to bed, get about three, four hours of sleep, and wake up, do chores, and you know, they, they start a whole routine. So, so I do this for about two, three years in preparation for the entrance exam. And uh, miraculously, I actually pass this exam. <laughs> I take the exam and I pass it. And, and I have to go to an interview um, on the campus of this elite school. So, so that is when I tell my uh, teachers, <laughs> And then and then they're like what just happened what what are you telling us and so and so they 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 yank me from school and they they bring me back home and they start talking to my parents I mean do you have any idea what your son has done and uh, and so my, my parents wouldn't couldn't find their way to Accra which were the capital of Ghana where the school was so so my my teacher at the time is actually the one who took me to the interview and uh, I had to go and uh, do well at the interview, also, uh, to actually gain admission. So, so we go to the interview, and I see this uh, beautiful campus that you know looks like uh, something out of the movies. It doesn't look like anything uh, in my village. So, so I go through the interview, I pass it, and then at that point, uh, that was the first time I heard the word uh, the word poverty. So. Wow. So I had done all this work without even knowing about, uh, you know, the fact that money would at some point, you know, become uh, involved in all this. So so then I I, I find out uh, all boarding schools, all secondary schools in Ghana were boarding schools at the time, which uh, yeah, students had to pay tuition for. And that was one of the reasons... Uh, Mm-hmm. Uh, village children like me couldn't go anywhere because uh, their parents says uh, so. So I, I it, ultimately it, it becomes clear to all of us that uh, that there's no way any, anyone in the village could uh, uh, could possibly sponsor me to go to the school. So I had to drop that. I had to give up that opportunity, which was uh, very very devastating. <laughs> and so. And so at that point, I, I uh, basically for for a brief uh, period there, I lost all hope and I, uh, I I didn't want to go back to school. I still had one more year of middle school to go, but I, I didn't want to go back because if I had done all this work, I had to sacrifice my breakfast oh, yeah. to buy newspapers. Uh, to- oh, yeah. So, so well, well
1: let's, to- let's talk about the fact that you stayed hungry all the time. Yes. I mean, are you yes. you know, let's just have a moment where yes. I think most of us this is one of the mm. things I think we take for granted, Patrick. Mm. It's mm. it's not just all of these things that really mm. uh, I I can't help but think mm. of how you found your way. Mm. Through this journey, I mean, Mm -hmm. nobody gave you a roadmap. Nobody gave you a blueprint. But somehow (laughs) there was something inside of you that guided you. But the other part of this is the sacrifices that we're not talking about. Everybody can read about in the book. I want to take a minute. Mm -hmm. And I want to make sure... um, would you mind telling people how they get a copy of the book, but also how they find out more about you, Patrick? Could you do that right now?
2: Yes. Yes. Thank thank you for that. Uh, so the book can be found on Amazon. It's on Amazon, The Boy from Bordua. And Bordua is spelled B-O-A-D-U-A. Uh, that can be found on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Walmart. And uh, it's also at some local independent bookstores. So Please check with your local independent bookstore. If if they don't have it, then certainly on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Walmart. And you can also find a lot about me and about the book on my website, patrickassareauthor.com, patrickassareauthor.com. And speaking about uh, looking at the world uh, through this uh, prism, I, I, I write a blog just because I, I can't sleep uh, <laughs> uh, well, uh, when when an issue comes around, and uh, I I have a lot of opinions, and so and so I write I, I write a blog which you can find on my website, so that you can find information about me and the book uh, on the yeah.
1: books. Yeah, well, you have to keep writing about it. You have to keep writing. You have <laughs> yes. to keep doing things yes. to do it. Now, uh, look, I know we have a short period of time, but I have to get to a couple of things here, okay. Patrick. Okay. You know, the root awakening for me. When I uh, was my my, I told you this. Sam Hammond was mm-hmm. my table tennis coach. Yes, national yes. champion of Ghana. He yes. was one of the first people to have the level of topspin. Mm-hmm. That uh, remarkable. Mm-hmm. Yes. He was called the Snake. If you watched him, he taught <laughs> yeah. me that. I was okay. one of the first women to learn that stroke. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the man okay. walks up to me. I'm in, I'm mm-hmm. playing on the court. This the, okay. the reason I'm sharing you this because mm-hmm. there's a level of character that I got to know and love. Yes, And this is the only way I know how to describe what you have in the book. Mm. The man saw me in a full cast, a full Mm. left leg cast, Mm. my entire Mm. leg in a cast. And he was Mm. watching me Mm. and he walks up to me in only the way Sam Hammond could say with this beautiful accent. Mm. And he says, what are you doing? (laughs) What are you doing? What are you doing? And Mm -hmm. I turned to this guy, right? Mm. Uh, Just beautiful, beautiful man. Mm. And I said, what does it look like I'm doing, right? This is me. <laughs> what,
2: is I'm like,
1: what does yeah. it look like I'm doing? And yeah. he looked at me and I just, his, he says, soft voice, what are you doing? Yeah. And
2: yeah. What,
1: what are you doing? What are yeah. you really doing? Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. And
1: I said, I'm practicing.
2: Yeah.
1: And he <laughs> said, you know, you have a cast on. Yeah. And
2: yeah. I
1: looked at him and I said, are you mm. kidding me? <laughs> of course, I have a cast on.
2: Yeah. yeah. He said,
1: why? Mm. See, this is a culture I got to. He said, why? Mm-hmm. And he didn't yeah. really mean why.
2: Yeah. yeah. He
1: meant what's in your heart. That's yes. why I asked you the question I asked you when you started. Yes. And I said, because I love the game and I want to yeah. get better. And you exactly. know what he said to me? Mm. He said, I'm going to coach you. Now, keep in mind, I had no idea who this man was. Yes. I had never seen him play. He says, mm. I'm going to coach you. Don't leave.
0: hmm
1: I Mm. got off the court, because I felt a little odd, and I sat down and I watched this man play a sport, Mm. and I thought, I am out of my league. (laughs) Isn't that in your book?
2: Yeah, it is. It is. (laughs) It is.
1: But I want to talk to you about this, because I got to hang out with him, and as a Mm -hmm. matter of fact, I got to watch what it was like for him as a beautiful black man Mm -hmm. in the United States with me, a white Mm -hmm. woman. Yes. traveling around to tournaments. As a matter of fact, we got yes. arrested coming oh, back wow. from a tournament one day. Wow,
2: wow. wow. Fascinating. You see, yes. It's fascinating. fascinating. So I want to ask you this
1: last question.
2: Mm.
1: There are things that we have to overcome and overcome them. Yes. What are some of the things, if you could share them in these last minutes,
2: Yes.
1: that you didn't realize you would have to overcome?
2: Yes. So it's so pretty much every step, on that journey, I, I had no idea what I was going to meet really. Uh, when I picked up that scrap of newspaper, I mean, I had no idea having I mean, this insane idea entered my mind and I, I had no. So, so I would say that, uh, never at uh, any point I had this big dream, uh, this big vision of where I wanted to see myself, maybe as a future president of Ghana or some ambassador or whatever. So that, that, that was the end goal. But I, uh, to, to get there, I uh as, as a raw, uninformed uh, village boy, I had no idea how I would get there. So so I I had to just uh uh fumble my way through. And uh the the, the one key thing for me that I have learned, the one big lesson that I've learned is um in, in life, uh regardless of who you are, I mean, you're you're gonna face uh uh, obstacles at any given moment in your life. So the one thing you have to keep in mind is to just keep going. Because um, if you if you let someone tell you, and, and that's what I talk about, the audacity. If if you let someone tell you you can't do something, you are doomed. <laughs> because no one no one knows anything in this world. <laughs> no, no no one knows what is going to happen five minutes from now, and so. And so have the singular focus. Uh, You you form this dream, uh, just keep going. And and that's what, basically, that's what I did. And um, the the other lesson is uh, uh, never, never feel sorry for yourself because uh, luck, I I write a lot about luck in the book. Uh, Luck is a critically important element of anyone's success, but uh, it is also very elusive. And so, uh, if, if you haven't found luck yet, uh, don't sit there and feel sorry for yourself because I, 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 I make a point. Uh, the philosopher Seneca said uh, luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. And so I have been lucky many times because I kept preparing myself. So uh, wh- whoever you are, I mean, if you are disadvantaged, at one point, that's what I was. I mean, the most disadvantaged uh, child on this planet, basically. And uh I, I I didn't feel sorry for myself. I just kept going and that that's that's the basic secret,
1: yeah. You know, Patrick, I could go on and on with so much in the book that we didn't talk about, but there's so much that we did talk about. And, you know, what you're really bringing is a message to so many people that really wanted to throw in the towel early on in their lives that didn't understand the possibilities. But when we follow your journey, even your journey to Moscow, I mean, I didn't even talk about that. And then back Mm -hmm. to United States, those came with the challenges um, all all on their own. But here you are. Yes. Uh you're writing about a story mm. that is definitely to uplift and inspire people. I don't care where they come from. Yeah. This is a story for everyone. I want to thank you for all of that. Last thing I would like to say is please give out your website, again information, how to get the book, and then I'd love to know what your personal message is, what you would like to leave us with.
2: Yeah. So th- thank you again. So the the uh the the, the website is patrickasariauthor.com patrickassariauthor.com and the book The Boy from Bordeaux can be found on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Walmart, and uh, at your local independent bookstore.
1: And for those of you that are listening to this, when we post this interview, I will also post a picture of me at that very young age and Sam Hammond who changed my life. Love to see
2: it. Yeah.
1: Personal message. What do you want to leave us with today?
2: So, so the 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 one message I would love to leave out is the 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 other big lesson that I have learned uh, on this journey, and I write about that in uh, in the reflections part of the book and uh, one of the chapters. It's about uh, being open to to everyone because. Um, uh, talking about going to Moscow, I, I was scared to death by people who tried to dissuade me from going because they they told me the KGB was going to be on my tail everywhere. and uh, and and, uh, and and many places I've been to. people have tried to discourage me, but the the one thing I've learned in this world is this is this is one beautiful planet with many beautiful people, regardless of race, uh, class, ethnicity, uh, geography. So I have been, uh, a lot of the things that I've been able to do in my life is because I have kept an open mind and be open to people. Uh, I talk about my Soviet roommate that I lived uh, for the first year uh, in, in in our dormitory room in Kiev. I, I went in suspecting him, never made eye contact uh, for the first uh, couple of months. But at the end of the year, he was the most beautiful soul I I ever knew. So So when you do that, um, a lot of doors and possibilities open to you. So please uh, keep an open mind, uh, be be willing to get close to people and learn about them. We are all the same people on this planet. So that that's the message mm-hmm. I want to leave.
1: Wow, thank you, Patrick. Thank you so much for everything. And um, wow, we are going to do our best to make sure people hear your story, understand the importance of it, especially in the days and times we live in. Thank you so much for everything.
2: Thank you so much, Dr. Pat. Thank you.
1: Mm -hmm. Let's take a short break, everyone. We'll be right back.
0: Hi, my name is Jim Fannin. I coach champions. Since 1974 I've coached the best in the world in life, business and sports. And now, and now I'm coaching you. So if you're seeking peak performance while eliminating worry, anxiety, doubt and fear from your daily life, well you've come to the right place. Join the tens of thousands of Zoniac performers that enjoy a life of simplicity, balance and abundance. Your success is the only mission. The Jim Fannin Show starts right now. Welcome to The Jim Fannin Show. I'm Jim Fannin. This show's about peak performers, high achievers, and it's about anyone that's looking to be the absolute, genuine, best self that they can be in everything in your life. Not just your business, not just your sport, not just relationships. Every single aspect of your life. But in my 50 years of coaching, today's show is a 911. I'm amazed of what's coming into our office, what's coming into my cell phone, and it's all about one subject and one subject only: worry. Now, if you worry and like to get rid of worry, this show's for you. And if you're one of the absolute fortunate few, you don't worry at all, I'd listen to the show because everybody around you does worry and maybe you can help influence them to not worry because worry sets up a vicious cycle and it's never ending, never ending. And it is one of the root causes of PTSD and other maladies of mental health and mental wellness So I'm ready to roll up my sleeves and let's tackle worry. It's on everybody's mind and everybody around you. So what is it? What is worry? Worry is rooted in the past. That's where it's anchored. I can't believe she said that to me. Why would she say that? Gosh, I don't know where she was last night. I mean, I thought she was at the club, but I don't think she's at the club. Jealousy, frustration, impatience, all kinds of negative feelings, negative thoughts all contribute to worry. But the anatomy of worry is when you take one thought. That thought may last a few seconds. That thought could last 90 seconds. One thought about something that happened to you a minute ago. An hour ago, a month ago. And then you do something amazing. You replay it. It replays over and over. You may put it down for a while and something triggers it. Little landmine you step on unwittingly to bring that image that causes the worry. The average person has two, three thousand Thoughts a day. When you woke up this morning, that thoughtometer started to click. Every thought, a few seconds to a minute, every single thought you have. And every thought is attached with feelings. Some are deep-rooted. And that's causes you to feel bad. What you're thinking can cause you to feel in a bad way, a depressed way, a sad way, an unhappy way but that one thought just keeps coming over and over it's on a loop you don't put it down and if you have that thought in the last 30 minutes of sleep now you now you know why you don't sleep now you know why you get up in the middle of the night because your subconscious mind records every thought you had today all the way down to the last second before sleep And it replays it while you're sleeping. Now, your subconscious is doing all kinds of things. It's pretty amazing. That's why I always say I'm awesome. I'm in awe of it. But it can turn against you based on what you think. Garbage in, garbage out. Think about what you think about. What is the root cause of how bad you feel? And then you do something amazing with the replay from the right side of your brain, your creative side that can lift you to all kinds of heights and cause you to build buildings and cities and businesses and relaunch your life? Now we put our imagination, which is amazing. We wrap that little worry and put imagination on it, sprinkle it on it like seasoning, and then we project it into the future. And then we grab our throat and our chest tightens up as we believe what's going to happen is not going to be good for you. And that causes dread, makes you not even want to get out of bed, makes you not want to go to work. Are you a worrier? I've been given seminars, keynote speeches, platform speeches, 50 in the audience, 15,000, 20,000 in the audience. And for 50 years, I've asked that question. If you worry, raise your hand. And I'm always overwhelmed. Everybody, except maybe a few egos, arms crossed, that refuse to raise their hand. Deep down, I know they're still a worrier. They all raise their hand. Today, today, this year, I've never seen more worriers than warriors. Warriors who are looking forward, have that battle cry of next and always are looking forward. No, we're looking in the rear view mirror. If we looked at your thoughts today and your average, and I know Zoniacs, these are Zoniacs, there's hundreds of thousands, millions of Zoniacs that follow our thought management system score and use it on a daily basis. And I love all the Zoniacs here. Thoughts. Think about what you think about. What keeps you up at night? What gets you to worry? Do you have a grudge? Are you holding a grudge against somebody? I've seen people hold a grudge for 40 years. I know my dad and my uncle held a grudge. 40 years. And every time they saw each other, because... You didn't live very far away. I could see the anxiety. I could see the tension. They didn't have to say a word, and they didn't say a word because they didn't talk. Are you holding a grudge? Are you jealous? Are you frustrated because your expectations aren't meeting reality? What are you worrying about? What do you think about when you go to sleep? Because when you go to sleep replaying the negative and it's wrapped in emotion, that's replayed. Not once, not twice, up to 15, 20 times during the night. But what if you thought about it 10 times? Multiply 10 times 200. Now you know why you don't get a good night's sleep. Now you're on that proverbial treadmill. Don't have deep sleep because your subconscious is simultaneously, not just replaying worry. It's also taking care of 10 body systems. That's why I always say I'm awesome. I'm in awe of your and my subconscious mind. It's one of the greatest things we have. Fully programmed by the age of five, but you can adjust it. Are you a warrior or a warrior in chasing your dreams? Reaching your expectations. Do you worry? And more importantly, would you like to get rid of it? Our clients are shedding worry in less than 10 days. Conventional wisdom. Over the last 50 years, say that's four to six weeks, six to eight weeks, 28 days. I've heard so many days and weeks that it actually takes. And I I remember coaching on the pro tennis tour. And he would got to change the habit. He's worried about his backhand. He's worried about the competition. He's worried about his ranking. He's worried that he's bought a house with all that money he won last year, but the mortgage don't care about him. It just says, feed me. And now he's losing. And he's worried about money. What's the root of your worry? What part of your life is causing the worry. We must control what we can control. And there are things we can control, our breathing, how we think, whether we can stay out of the past, except for learning, assessment, evaluation. We can stay out of the future, except for tactics, strategy. Are you in the moment? The worriers that I meet, the worriers that I talk to, during the past, the warriors don't look you in the eye long enough to discern eye color. They look down, they look away, and COVID just exasperated that. Never in my career have I met at our doorstep more warriors, and I'm on a rampage. I, I I'm on a ramp. I, I want to snuff worry and get rid of it. Will sleep better we'll love better, we'll hug better, we'll give more, we'll be more productive in work, be more proficient as a parent, we'll be better helping our parents. Oh, they used to coach me when I was a kid. Now you wake up, you're 50, 60, you're coaching them. Are you worried? It's prevalent, not just in adults, not just in my age group or the age group below me or below no worry is all the way down to the grade school level. And I'm like, oh my goodness, my hair's on fire when I think about that. Seriously? Fourth graders are worried already? No job, no relationships, and they're worrying. What what are they worrying about? And what's the cause of the worry? Is it mom and dad worrying? It causes our kids' stress. Stress runs downhill. It don't run uphill. And let me tell you something, the stress, which worry spawns, it backs up like a toilet. I don't mean to be that graphic, but those negative thoughts will back up and guess where they go? They can't go in the skeleton system. That energy negative can't go in the organs of the body. It goes right into our muscles. Where's it go to first? Right here. My dentist. Yeah, I go in every six months and he checks me out. And I always ask him, what's the most thing people are coming in for? TMJ. Jaw too tight, grinding their teeth. Really? How prevalent is that? Never seen it like this, ever. Worries impacting our dental health, which impacts everything in our life. So how do we get rid of it? Well, right now, if you look to get rid of it, or you get some insight to help somebody else shed worry and put it down so that you can get on your road to success, let's go to the toolbox. I'll go through a tool or two, and let's see if we can get get rid of worry as fast as we can. Let's go to the toolbox. We need to be the best that we can be, but we gotta control what we can control. We'll talk that in our next segment. And now let's get into the zone helicopter. You ready to go for a ride? Let's get up above your life. Let's go up a thousand feet and let's kind of peruse over your life, one section, one little container, one little arena at a time. And let's see if we can find out which part of that life of yours is causing that worry, the negative replay. You ready to go up? I can hear the engines, I can see the rotor. Let's go, let's get in the helicopter and off we go. And now you're looking down. You're looking over your life and you can see the big buckets are almost like reality TV shows. Let's go to the one that causes the most worry. Money, 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 money. Oh, man, we all love money. Give me cash. We all love money. But worry and money, it's like cousins. They go hand in hand. Are you worrying about more income that you need? Are you worried about bills that you have? Are you worried about the interest rates, things that you really can't control? What in your finances is the root of replaying the negative? And when you think about money, you got to think about what you want, not what you don't want. Is worry the culprit? And who's in that arena with you? a financial advisor, your CPA, your significant other? Or is it just you living alone, managing my own money? And I don't have enough of it. You know what? Most of us never have enough of it. That's what we think. We've been convinced that more money makes us happy. Two billionaires that walk into my office, how'd that work out? They had more money than almost everybody in the world. Do they worry? Yeah, he worries about his wellness. Doesn't worry about his money. Well, yeah, he does. He worries about keeping it and making more. But because he put all of his happy eggs in one basket, now he's worried about his wellness. Now he's worried about his relationship. Now he's worried about his parenting. So here we are in the helicopter. Let's move away from your finances. How's your relationship? How's your significant other? How's your wife? How's your husband? How is that? Is that a cause of worry? Do you have trust? You know, relationships are built on trust. One plus one, you and her, you and him should equal more than a part. Are you worried about it? Are you always trying to figure out where are they? What are they doing? Are you looking at your phone? Are you tracking them? Oh my goodness. You've taken worry to a whole nother level now. Now your hair is on fire. And that's just one part of your life. We're in the helicopter. Let's move away from that relationship. Boy, it can be complex, but it can be so simple, so balanced, so loving, so happy. You and I together should equal more than a part. But if I'm worrying or they're worrying, uh, we got a stalemate. We, we got a challenge. Just in the relationship. How many parents do we have? How many parents of teenagers? Now I'm an expert. What does that mean? I've had two teenagers, 13 to 19. Oh my goodness. What happened to that sweet little girl? I loved her, hugged her at five. What a little homebody. She loved me. 13, don't come in my room. Really? Do you worry about them? You know, your kids are only as good as what they think and do when you're not there. Are you the mom? Are you the dad? I'm sitting up until they walk in. Are you that? Do you trust them? They're only as good as what they think and do when you're not there. We worry because we love them. We love them so much. And we know society's nuts. We know the peer group all of a sudden took over when they're 13. No, they were decision makers. 13, here comes the peer group taking over from mom and dad, telling our kids what to wear, what music to listen to, how to talk, how to talk even about parents. Are you a warrior in the parent arena? Now, I, know, I don't know how old you are. This may or may not be apply to you. But if you're 40, 50, 60, you know, we all are sons or daughters. And my mom and dad, they coached me. They were my coach. They were my advisors. I listened to them. Well, not always when I was a teenager, but most, I listened to them. And now they're 60, 70, 80, 90. All all of a sudden, I'm the coach and I'm worried. I'm worried about the wellness. I'm worried what to do with them. Oh, dad's got Alzheimer. I'm worried. I love him. I've never seen him so frail. I've never seen him so sick. And I'm thinking about him all the time. I love him so much. And his, his finances in order. Can he afford to take care of himself long after insurance runs out? Oh, that's a cause of a lot of people right now worrying about mom and dad. Back in the helicopter, let's peruse the rest of your life. How about your friends? Do you worry about them? You know, most of us don't worry as much. But our best friends, going through a divorce, going through any other challenges, we think about them. But are you thinking in solutions? Or are you thinking in the absolute P-R-O-B-L-E-M? And I don't like to say that word. It's a bad word in our company. We use challenge and motivate you. The other word, oh, it's too heavy. It's cumbersome. And I worry when I have the P-R-O-B-L-E-M. Challenges, just changing the terminology, the vocabulary, I don't worry as much. Probably should have added that in the toolbox a little bit earlier. Worry is everywhere everywhere. And then here's the one that is really serious. And I get this one. Wellness. Oh, everything's fine in my 20s. I was a pro athlete. My heart rate, (laughs) resting was under 50, 48, 49, pinnacle of health. I felt great. You know how old I am. I'm past the 7-0 mark. And all the people that I know that are in that mark, what's the topic of disu- discussion? Wellness, tell me how they feel, tell me about their hip surgery, their knee surgery, going over it and over it. and I'm like, oh my goodness, my hair's on fire again. Worry, it's everywhere. Let's get rid of worry. and And I know that we can do this in less than 10 days. And here's how I can help you. We're giving free 15-minute consultations. Bring your worry box, bring them all. I don't care what arena it is. It doesn't matter, doesn't matter what age you are. Doesn't matter if you're a young golfer or the best golfer in the world. Because even the best in the world, the billionaire, or the number one player in the world, his challenges has increased. Why? He's on the wall of scrutiny. Everybody's watching. Everybody expects him to do awesome. Keep that high standard. Keep feeding the mortgage. Keep feeding. Keep. It's caused worry in superstars. You're like, boy, I wish I had his challenges. Do you? You may not know what they really are. They're serious. 15-minute consultation. Go to jimfannon.com, J-I-M-F-A-N-N-I-N.com. J-I-M-F-A-N-N-I-N.com. Sign up for a 15-minute consultation, bring your worry, dump it on us, and we'll see if we can help you figure out how to shed yourself of all the thoughts that don't serve you well. Let's get rid of worry. Let's eliminate worry. You can send me a personal email at AskJim, A-S-K-J-I-M, at JimFannin.com, or just go to j i m f a n n i n J-I-M-F-A-N-N-I-N.com. 15-minute consult, no obligation. But when you come in, bring us your worries, and we're going to help you get rid of it, make it dissipate, and go away. It's time we're palm trees and life's hurricanes, but I know all the Zoniacs, you got the mountain that you wanna climb. I know that. And we're here to help you climb your own personal Mount Everest. Until next week, next. Bye everybody. Thanks for joining me today on the Jim Fannin Show. And as a returning or new Zoniac peak performer, It's here that goals are reached and dreams come true. So if you're ready to step into the zone of champions to become your genuine, authentic best self and all you do, join me here next time on The Jim Fannin Show, where I'll help unlock your full potential. And in the meantime, learn more about me and my score success system at www.jimfannon.com. Follow me on all my social media platforms. And if you have questions about the show or its subject matter, email me at askjim at jimfannon.com. A-S-K-J-I-M at J-I-M-F-A-N-I-N dot com. Askjim at jimfannon.com.